several years ago, there was a reporter on the streets of New York City, and he was posing the question to the people that he encountered, what are the greatest problems in America? And uh, kind of envisioned he had a clipboard, and as people would give their answers, he would write down the answer, what, whatever they would give. What is the greatest problem in America? He came upon one guy who he said, sir, excuse me, I'm just getting a kind of a survey here talking to people. I want to know what you think is the greatest pro what are the greatest problems in America? And this particular guy said, I don't know and I don't care. The reporter went, well, let me see. I'm going to put down ignorance and apathy then <laughs> down here and you have both of them. I don't know and I don't care. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament were sent by God to expose the spiritual condition of God's people. And we could go through a whole series of them. But God always sent the prophets in the Old Testament and they were a voice for God to expose the spiritual condition of God's people. Because so many times we get so wrapped up in our lives that we don't have a perspective of really where we are spiritually. And kind of we... Uh, we get kind of caught in the group and kind of what other people are doing and just kind of going with the flow of life. And uh, sometimes kind of the years roll together. And quite honestly, our hearts begin to take little steps away from God. And eventually, as the years roll on, we really get to a place spiritually that we never thought we would. And we're kind of in a fog. We don't even see it. And in the Old Testament, God would send a prophet. And the prophet was there to be the voice of God and the perspective of God to say, do you see your lives and where you are? My contention this morning is that our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal. Our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal. There have to be times where we step back and we, we allow God to evaluate our, our lives and to shine a light and say, really, where am I spiritually? Because so many times, just like the people in the Bible, we take little steps away from God. And sometimes those steps go on for years. And all of a sudden, we end up at a place where, quite honestly, if we were very realistic about it, we'd say, how did, how did I get there? And many times in the Old Testament in our lives, it, it's kind of a group activity. We all get there together. And that was the times that the prophets would come 
in the Old Testament and say, I want you to hear from God and to see God's perspective of where you really are. Not where you think you are. Not where you've rationalized, justified, or just been ignorant or apathetic about it. Know where you really are. This morning, I want us to begin to look at the prophet Amos in the Bible. I always feel bad. I, you know, I, I want to say Amos is a minor prophet. I always feel bad for Amos's mother, who her son's classified as one of the minor prophets, but that's just the way it is. The you know, the Old Testament, the, the Bible is made of, of 66 books, and I think they're learning this in probably warehouse worship right now. 66 books in the Bible. Uh, I don't really want to quote all of them because I kind of get a little lost in the minor prophets, let's just be honest, okay? But, you know, if we just picked up in the, kind of in the middle of the Old, there's 30, I'm sorry, there's 27 books in the New Testament, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. I wanted you to get the same information they're getting in warehouse worship today, so... When your kids ask you, you'll know. 66 books, 27 in the new, 39 in the old. Ah, if you just kind of pick up in the middle of, you got Psalms written by David. You've got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon by Solomon. Then you start with the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Eze- Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, And in the last 12 books of the Minor Prophets, they go Hosea, Joel, Amos. And that's kind of where it gets a little fuzzy for the preacher right now. I should have. But if you're looking, my point is if you're looking for Amos, that's that's where you're going to find him. And that's where we're going to be for several weeks. Let's just be honest, a couple months. Yeah, let's just say it. Yeah, it's going to be a couple months. We're just going to hang out with Brother Amos in the Old Testament. Because Amos was one of those voices at a time in the mid-8th century B.C. in which God's people, for really a number of decades, had drifted from God. And God sends a very clear voice, maybe an unlikely voice, but a very clear voice. Um... You know, if I, I want to read the biographical little sections of Amos today, and I, I just want to lay some groundwork today so that you kind of know who Amos is and where he was coming from and why God chose him and why he's a prophet. Uh, there's really only two little biographical sections to Amos, and uh, I want to look at those this morning and talk about what it teaches us. Amos chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Um, Now, you know what I'm doing in my my Bible? I'm just putting my my little ribbon right there. there. That's Amos, you know. If you've got the little thumbtags, you can also find, you know, Amos there. But just put your little ribbon there. I'm just saying, camp out. It'll be really hot. It may be July before we get out of Amos, all right. Uh, And then I'll start the series on hell when we're in July. August. Anyhow, it'll be very appropriate. We're going to have the deacons turn on the heaters in the sanctuary just to simulate. No, that's not it. Amos chapter 1. Notice notice what we see biographically about Amos. It says, the words of Amos, 
who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So that has some biographical biographical information and then has somewhat of a summary or an opening statement of what his prophecy was. If you flip over, you can either look on the screens or if you're in your Bibles in chapter 7 of Amos. Only one other biographical uh, narrative kind of section to Amos. And there's nine chapters in Amos. You'll notice that. But chapter 7, verse 10. It says, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be put away, shall, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit, then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people of Israel. I love that statement. We're going to come to it here in just a minute. I am no prophet. I was not a prophet, and my daddy wasn't a prophet. You've got me pegged all wrong. You know, through the years, people have said to me, when they find out I'm a preacher, they'll say to me, and they'll say, Oh, so your daddy was a preacher. I was thinking, no, my daddy was a deacon. He wasn't a preacher. Oh. And kind of the thought behind the question was, oh, if your daddy's a preacher, then you'll end up being a preacher. It may have worked out for Byron. But anyhow, he's the exception. <clears throat> um, but I kind of, I, I always think of Amos when I hear that. It's like they're kind of pigeonholing Amos and saying, oh, well, we kind of got you figured out. We know what you are as a prophet. And he goes, no, no, you got this all wrong. I was, I was not a prophet, and my daddy was not a prophet. God called me from what I was doing <laughs> to proclaim this message to you, which I think gives a certain amount of weight to it. I wanted you to see a map. Can we show our map of the divided kingdom? And I want you to I want to refer to this here in just a minute. Uh, but I want you to visually get who Amos is and where he's at and what he's got going on. And, um, Amos, when you begin to put together his story 
a sheep breeder of Tekoa, and a tender of sycamore fruit. Uh, the first thing you need to understand about Amos is he was an outdoorsman. Um, he was a country boy. Amen? That's the best way I can put it in East Texas. Amos was a country boy, David Shaw. Uh, that song that you had to play for me in the Amsterdam airport about just give me a little land outside the gates or something, I don't know. Do you want to sing a few bars of that? That's all right. I don't know what, yeah, anyhow. Uh, some crazy things happen on the trip to Africa and back. Uh, you talk about a lot of things. Amos was just a country boy. He says in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 7 that he was a breeder of sheep. And actually it's a word that's used in other places, uh, one other place in the scripture to talk about the king of Moab. And it is a word that is used of, of someone who, who raises sheep that are a specific kind of sheep that are prized for their particular wool. Okay, so this was not just, he was not just a sheep herder. He was one who raised a specific kind of sheep because they were prized uh, for their wool. He, he also says in chapter 7 that he, was, he had a side job. Because country boys, you know, always got something on the side. Amen? Uh, he was also a tender of sycamore fruit. Um, don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but <laughs> from what I read from my commentaries, um, they grew this particular kind of fruit. Um, and it, it's kind of, it was a number of miles uh, from where uh, Amos would have been raised in Tekoa, where he had his sheep. And so maybe it was kind of a side industry or job that he had. And at a certain point in the, the growing season, they would have to pierce this fruit so the, the insects that had gotten inside of it would come out. And um, Anyhow, the scripture says that he was raised, he, he, was, he was from Tekoa. Now actually this map does not have Tekoa. And boy, if you can even see the names up there, you're good. Um, but if you can see Jerusalem in the yellow area of, of Judah, the northern part of Judah. Six miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, and another six miles, or towards Hebron, is the ancient town, I guess there's maybe still a town there, Tekoa. Now, I know I can't show you pictures of this, but what you need to understand, this is at the edge of the, the Judean wilderness. They're right at the edge. It's kind of a mountainous area, but the land drops off all the way to the Dead Sea. Uh, most scholars would believe that uh, the sycamore trees would have had to have been grown in lower elevations down at sea level towards the Dead Sea. And so um, Amos would have been tending his, his sheep and raising his sheep uh, up in the more mountainous area. But it would have been very broken, rugged land. Uh, it, it was a wilderness kind of area. It was at the edge of the wilderness, uh, 12 miles south of Jerusalem. I would contend this morning that Amos, as a man, his character was formed by his environment in which he lived and he worked. That's why I describe him. He was an outdoorsman. He was a country boy. He, he was one who was used to living outside. And I believe because of that, the character that was formed in him, he was plain-spoken, and he was fearless. When God called him as a prophet, um, we might say that Amos was not 
educated enough as an educated person to to speak in, in beautiful metaphors and all. No, Amos was just a man who said it the way God told him to and the way he saw it. And invariably, and we're going to see this in the weeks to come, he used the imagery of everyday life and outdoors, outdoor life. There were things, there were, there were imagery. I want you to see some of this so you begin to, to get a picture of who Amos was. Um, I'm going to read some of this. Uh, this, this isn't going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, chapter 2, verse 13. He would speak in these, the imagery uh, of everyday life. And so in 2.13, he says, Behold, this is God speaking, I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. Uh, I, I, I like that statement when he says in verse 13, I am weighed down by you like, like a cart that is full of sheaves that is almost overloaded and it's too much. And the interesting thing to me is Amos' name, which I haven't told you yet, is a name that means burden. Burden. To be weighed down by something. And the imagery I get from 2.13 is God says, the lives that my people are living are wearing me down. It's a great burden on me. They say these things with their mouth, but their lives are this. And God says there's a great burden. And he gave that burden to Amos. And Amos is the prophet of God who speaks it as the burden of God. Your lives are weighing me down the way you're living. Um, Chapter 3. There's kind of some famous verses that you might recognize from Amos. You, you might think, well, I don't, I don't know any verses from Amos, but there's some you may recognize. Chapter 3, verse 3, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And then I want you to see verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And then he says again in verse 8, A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. Chapter 7, verse 1, he talks about locusts. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. Um, Verse 7 of chapter 7, thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And he said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said and goes, God goes on and says, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Chapter 8, verse 1. 
Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. He's going to use that imagery. He talks about later in chapter 8, verse 11. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Um, wow. Uh, actually, one of the famous verses from Martin Luther King Jr., Amos 5.24 but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Um, let me see. I don't know. You can, you can read it this afternoon. My point being there's so many uh, outdoor imagery things of everyday life that Amos brings up because that's who he was. I think of Amos as being a rugged figure like a John the Baptist that was just a wilderness man who was plain spoken and he was fearless as he followed God. Um, I need my map again, I know. I'm sorry. You need to understand geographically what we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. In the days of Amos, God's people, the 12 tribes, were divided. It had, it had happened after Solomon's rule about 150 years before Amos. And uh, you have to understand there, were, there was a southern kingdom that was Judah. Actually, it was made up of Judah and Benjamin, two tribes. Uh, the northern kingdom was called Israel at this point. It was the ten northern tribes. Uh, you'll notice Judah, the capital is Jerusalem. If you will look, notice just north of Jerusalem, I think it's about 12 miles, there is a city called Bethel. It comes up today in this morning's scripture. But if you go due north of Bethel, you come to the capital of the northern kingdom, which would have been uh, Samaria. And uh, let me see if I can find it. It's not on my map. There's a city named Dan. Uh, named after Dan Townsend, actually. Not really. No, no, no. Um, no, there's a northern city named Dan, and I, um, hmm, I'm supposed to know where that is. I had a test on that about 35 years ago in seminary, but I just can't remember where Dan is. Okay, you can look it up on your map. But here's, here's what you need to understand. In the days in which God called Amos, things were really good. The kingdom was divided. Southern kingdom of Judah the northern kingdom of, of Israel. Now, they were divided politically, militarily, and in every other way. But for both of those kings, for several decades, things had been good. There was uh, political peace in the surrounding areas. And because of that, then there was economic prosperity. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. And for several decades, in fact, the kings that are mentioned in... Um, Amos 1.1, 1, 1, Uzziah, who is the king of Judah, and Jeroboam, who is actually Jeroboam II uh, of, the, of the northern kingdom of Israel. Both of these kings reigned for decades. And so there was stability, there was peace, and there was prosperity. And you say, times were good in so many ways, except invariably what happens in those times when times are good 
the hearts of the people strayed from God. And it went on for year after year after year until really they got further away from God than they could have ever imagined. And that's the reason God sends the prophets. Um, Amos was not only an out, outdoorsman. It's very important you understand this morning. I think because of that, Amos was an outsider. You have to ask the question. I have to ask the question. Why Amos? He's breeding sheep in the Judean wilderness and he's got the side job of tending the sycamore fruit why of all people and the only answer I can come up with is because in that day when everybody seemed to be on the same page and the powers that be were all flowing in the same way God needed a voice of an outsider and what I want you to understand, in the days of prosperity uh, and political peace, as their hearts drifted away from God, and basically it was a group activity, and the powers that be <laughs> were all on the same page, and it seemed like everybody was flowing in the same direction, God needed somebody who was not a part of that. He was an outsider. He was simply tending his sheep and his trees in the wilderness and he was not wrapped up I believe so much in the flow of what life was about and the direction they were heading God needed the voice of an outsider we might ask why Amos we'd have to ask the question why not Amos he was the guy that you know he's gonna say when his hand is slapped and he's saying but you can't, be, you can't be talking like that anymore in this place. He's, he's going to say to them, I want you to know, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I was tending my flocks in Tekoa when God came to me and said, preach this message. And you know, here's the thing about it. He is from the southern kingdom, and God calls him to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. That's only about 24 miles for him to get to 12 miles to get to Jerusalem, another 12 miles to get to Bethel. But it was, it was another kingdom. He came from the southern kingdom of Judah, and he comes to preach in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he comes to Bethel. He is not a part of the political, religious system of his day, but he had a perspective, I would contend today, that was realistic. No, God gave him a perspective that says, no, I can, I can show you what life is really like. And all of you people have gotten so wrapped up in all that's going on, you can't see it. But your hearts have drifted from God. He comes to announce the judgment of God because their hearts have depa departed from him. And he uses the imagery several times, twice. He says, the Lord roars from Zion. And as a wilderness man, he knew the lions. <laughs> He's basically from the same area that King David, the shepherd boy, was from. And 
I've never heard, I guess, live a, a lion roar. But when a lion roars, he is announcing his presence and his power, and he is about to say, I'm about to take care of some business. I want you to know I'm, I'm large and I'm in charge. And when Amos had heard that in the wilderness, and when he had to put a picture to it, he said, the Lord reign. He roars from Zion, from Jerusalem. God has come to announce that he will no longer put up with the lives that you have lived. He has come to clean house. He cannot endure it anymore. The scripture says, or Amos says, that it was two years before the earthquake. Now, I'm just trying to help you put this into perspective this morning. Um, With some specificity, we can date that earthquake in 760 B.C. Now, not all scholars would agree with that, which means that Amos preached in the year 762. In fact, he doesn't say in the years before the earthquake. He says two years before the earthquake. I would contend this morning that Amos' little slice of prophetic ministry lasted about this long because of what happens in chapter 7 when they go, no, no, the land can't listen to this anymore. You got to go. You all up in our business. No, we ain't, we ain't going to deal with this no more. 762, I need you to to have that date in your brain, 762. The other significant date that you need to understand is in 722, 40 years after Amos prophesies. The Assyrian kingdom comes and takes over the ten tribes of Israel. The judgment of God comes. But you know what that says to me? God gave them 40 years. In his mercy, he said, no, he doesn't say it. You know, there's another famous verse. You didn't even, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, the verse in the Bible that says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And we're going to look at that sometime. And the prophet said, return, 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 return. Oh, but you're not going to return. And you know what his message was? Then if you're not going to return, then prepare to meet your God because God's coming to you. Because God can only put up with your sins so long. And so he he prophesies in 762. In 722, Samaria falls and the judgment of God comes. The lion roared, but eventually the lion pounced and took his prey. It was over. You see in that chapter, those chapter 7 verses that we read 10 through 15, the response, the powers that be, Amaziah the priest at Bethel. I told you about Bethel and Dan earlier because what we see is 150 years before this when the northern tribes divided from the southern tribes after the reign of Solomon. All of a sudden, they divided themselves, and they cut themselves off from Jerusalem, the place of worship. Uh, 
What did they do? The first king, Jeroboam, Jeroboam I, he said, I'm going to set up a shrine or a sanctuary in the southern part of the ten tribes, Bethel, and in the northern part of the ten tribes, Dan. And when you need to go to seek God, don't go to Jerusalem because that's where the people we've divided from, we're, we're at odds with. That's, that's their place. No, our place is you can go to Bethel, you can go to Dan, and I'm going to set up a shrine there. But the problem was God had never said there was any other place other than his place in Jerusalem where you can go. And so they took a step of compromise and they set up priests just like you had in Jerusalem, but it was not God's place. And what happened over the course of 150 years and had begun to escalate over the last two decades that led up to Amos is their compromise began to compound. And they got further and further away from God. And we're going to see it in the book that it eventually they began to introduce the pagan influences of their day. And all of a sudden the place, even in 150 years before when they said, no, this is for the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel. No. Mm -mm. because when compromise comes we just keep going down that road and eventually they begin to introduce all kinds of things I'm glad some of these sermons the kids aren't going to be in here I'm, in fact I'm going to have to pick some of those sermons when I know those kids are going to be in the warehouse if you read Amos today today you just go oh my did he just say that Amaziah the priest, he sends word to the king, Jeroboam. Amos has conspired against you. He's announced that you're going to die and we're going to be carried off into captivity. And the land cannot bear his words anymore. And he tells Amos, you need to get your business and get out of here. He says, go flee to the land of Judah and there eat bread uh, there's a little jab there and we see it because of the response of Amos because in Judah and even in, in Israel they would feed the prophets bread and the society the government whatever you want to say would all take care of them and and he was saying, you think we're going to feed you bread and we're going to take care of you as a prophet of God? you got another thing. You need to go back to Judah and let them feed you. And that's when Amos goes, no, no, I'm not a part of the religious order here. I'm not a prophet. My daddy's not a prophet. I wasn't raised in that community. And you can see that throughout the Old Testament. There were communities. There were guilds of the prophets. Amos says, no, -uh, mm -mm, that's not me. I was a, I was a breeder of sheep and a tender of sycamore fruit when God called me. Don't think I'm a part of that. Don't think somebody's supporting me and feeding me bread and they've sent me up here to tell you this message. Uh-uh. No, that's not what this is about at all. Amaziah was telling him, he told him, he said, never again prophesy at Bethel for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. And he was saying, you know what he was saying? The king runs this place and what was Amos there to announce God runs this place 
In fact, the very words of the priest out of his mouth indicted them for where they were in their religious because the religion and the politics had all got mixed up and it was all tied together. And it was all politically, economically, and in every other way expedient for those who went along. Man, there's a statement that Amos makes at one point. He says, in that day the prudent will just keep their mouth shut. It's better just not to say anything because you're just going to get in trouble. Because everybody's on the same page and it's all mixed up. And they all head in the same direction. And Amos comes, (laughs) the wilderness man, to that place. And said, the lion roars, and God's not going to put up with this anymore. And they said, you need to get your business, and you need to get out of town before we do something bad to you. And I think that was the window. Amos went, and he preached his sermons that we're going to look at, and then he flees. I think of Amos, much like the apostles in Jesus' day. Hmm. Fishermen men of everyday life not the people in the powers that be no I think of the words of Paul that he says in 1 Corinthians 1 and he says for you see your calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Hmm. In 762, God called a man who was an outsider to go to announce some of his people God's about to bring his judgment he's not going to put up with this much longer they had rationalized they had justified their sin they had become desensitized to their unholiness the covenant community that God had set up in the Old Testament had broken down into a class system of oppression God sends word through the prophet Amos that the lion roars from Zion. And God has announced his presence and his power. And he begins, we're going to see it in the weeks to come. The standards of holiness. And so when I thought about how do I summarize Amos' message, It is the statement, get real, get right. Amos was a voice of reality. No, this is the way it really is if you're going to take assessment of your spiritual vitality, your spiritual condition. And you either line up with God's standards of righteousness or God in Time as a righteous God will bring the effects of our sin. 
God is a holy, righteous God. Yes, he is gracious, he is loving, he is forgiving. But you cannot presume upon the grace of God to say, oh, I can live any way I want to. And God's not going to do anything about it. No. God doesn't play that game. There comes a time when the the lion roars from Zion. And my contention to you in these days is that our spiritual vitality is dependent upon times of renewal that we take assessment of where we are and who God is and we have to get real and we have to get right or all we can expect is for God to bring the consequences of our sin amen amen if you would stand with me this morning Let me pray as our music team comes. We invite you to come to the altar this morning. Uh, I'm here. Uh, If you'd like to visit with me, to pray with me. Uh, Father, today, um, we acknowledge you as Almighty God, the God who reigns and is Lord. And Father, today I pray that we would, uh, you would speak to our hearts. And Father, we would take a real look at our lives. And then Father, I pray that you'd give us repentant hearts. That whatever you show us, that Father, we'd get it right. And so Father, I pray in these days that we would do business with you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.